1 Kings chapter 17. We've been looking at this chapter and thinking about what God was doing in the life of Elijah and also this widow woman of Zarephath during less than desirable times. I don't think that I'm saying anything that will surprise you when I say that we're living in less than desirable times. I stopped on the way in and gassed the car up, and uh, after after I woke up from the shock uh, and got back in the car, I just had to rejoice that, you know, it's not easy, but there was the funds there to do it, amen? And the Lord met the need. Don't God always meet needs in our life? But we would be naive if we didn't imagine that's taking its toll uh, on folks. And then to beat it all, Leah went to the grocery store today, too, so you pray for us, they're... Uh, the the police officers are out looking for who ripped off the Krogers, and uh, we, we just figured God's house would be a good place to hide out. But we, uh, uh, we're living in less than pleasant times. I think we could all acknowledge that. But man, I'm glad we don't have to give up, and I'm glad we shouldn't give up even during hard times. I'm glad that the plan stays the same. God's not disturbed or distressed. He's not disoriented. He's not thrown off uh, by what's going on in our lives. We can trust Him. We can persist and continue to go forward in serving the Lord. There's nothing that will come into your life that necessitates you quitting on God. There's always the choice and the option to keep on serving the Lord. There's nothing in your life that will ever force you to give up on God. Now, there might be things that happen that don't allow you to do things that you once did. It might change directions and change course in the way that God uses you in your life. But there will never be anything that will have to say, well, I'm just whooped. I've got to quit on God now. We can always keep going and serving the Lord. And I think this chapter in the Word of God gives us an example of that. So we first began by looking at the thought of living during lean times, living in lean times. We saw Elijah there by the brook Cherith and how that God met the need with the bread brought by the ravens and the water from the brook. But then ere many days had passed, the brook began to dry up and God sends Elijah from the brook Cherith to the house of a widow woman in Zarephath. We don't know her name. She's known only as the widow of Zarephath. But Elijah arrives there and, and far from finding a place that is well provisioned and stocked for these lean times, he finds a woman that is gathering sticks to build a fire to bake one last little cake of bread so her and her son can eat it. And then they can just sit down and wait for death to overtake them. They are literally at the end of their rope. They are uh, both figuratively and literally scraping the bottom of the barrel in regards to their resources. And God calls on this woman to fill a need, to meet a need in the life of Elijah and in the work of God. And so we see her serving the Lord during sparse times. Well, the story does not end there. In fact, it says, and I want you to notice it with me, verse number 17. We'll begin there tonight. 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse number 17 says, And it came to pass after these things, after God had performed this miracle, after God had been meeting their needs, after it seemed like the trial had passed, it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, 
Let this child's soul come in to him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for the word of God. Use it in our hearts. Use it in our minds. May it glorify the Lord Jesus. May he be uplifted in the preaching tonight. May we walk away from this place more in love with him and more in awe of him. May our life reflect that spirit and attitude. We'll be sure to thank you for what takes place. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So we've looked at the thought of living in lean times. And we've looked at the thought of serving in sparse times or spare times in our life. But I want us to consider tonight this thought, trusting in trying time. As opposed to the worst of it being already past, we find when we come to 1 Kings chapter 17 that in fact the largest trial, the fiercest storm, still lay ahead of this little family. And it was not occupied with the idea of provision of God providing, but rather it had to do with the idea of protection. This son of this widow woman dies, and she is completely confused by this turn of events. Her home is destroyed, her heart is crushed, and she is now faced with this simple question. In the face of trials, am I willing to trust the Lord? I'll tell you tonight, it's easy to trust Him when things are going well. It's easy to trust Him when there are no problems. I would say that the flesh has a fundamentally skewed perspective on what faith is. The reason I say that is I don't know that it's so much a product of modern Christianity, although certainly I think modern Christianity uh, has embraced it in in, in full spirit, but we just are, are utterly amazed. We are just absolutely shocked when God calls on us to trust Him. Somehow we believe that if we find ourselves in a situation where we do not see a way through, where we do not have a solution, for we cannot make sense out of things and we are forced by virtue of that to trust in the Lord. We feel like our Christianity has somehow come off the rails. And I'd say to you tonight, hey, listen, your Christianity was built for trying times. Uh, when the Bible says that our faith is the victory that overcomes the world, you don't overcome something unless there's opposition to it in the first place. And you trusting the Lord is going to require you to be in situations sometimes where God doesn't make any sense to you, where your problems seem insurmountable, where you don't have any answers and you don't even really know where to go to try to seek them. And you must just simply sit there in the midst of all of your crisis, all of your calamity and say, now, Lord, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do, but I'm willing to trust that you have a plan and that you're working your will in my life. When I think about this woman's situation, there's a couple thoughts that occur to me. Number one, I would say this about this trial that she's going through, that it was a devastating trial. This woman did not just suffer some small slight or some incidental loss. She lost the very thing that kept her going. She lost her son. When she is out, and I don't know about you, but if I knew I only had one meal left to eat on this earth, and it wasn't going to be nothing but just dry bread anyway, I wouldn't even bother going out and gathering the sticks to start the fire. I'd say, what's the point in it? I'll just sit here and wait for death to come. But this woman, on the other hand, is working right up to the last moment to gather this firewood to build this fire. I dare say this, she wasn't doing it to feed herself, she was doing it to feed her son. 
She couldn't bear the thought of having to watch him go hungry. And her entire life and her entire hope and her entire plans and her entire heart was wrapped up in this son. She had nothing else. She, her husband was gone. She had no other children. She obviously had no other family or neighbors or friends. She had no support system around her. It was just her and her boy. And now the thing that she loves the most has been snatched out of her life. It was a devastating trial. Man, I wish I could tell you that you're never going to have to go through trials like these. I've never had to experience what this woman experienced. I've, I've, I've had my, my share of trials and, and maybe not even my share of them, probably less than what most people go through. And I, I praise the Lord for that. But I've seen people go through things that are just unimaginable. I'm talking about people that know the Lord and love God and serve the Lord go through devastating trials. I'll not belabor the point. We've said it several times as we preach through this series. We've pointed back to the experience of Job. But I would just remind you that the very first book that the Holy Ghost ever breathed into a man's pen and put down on paper was a story not of salvation, not of sanctification, not of service, but it was one of suffering. God's wanting to remind us uh, the righteous do indeed suffer. This woman was at her godliest during this season of her life, at least heretofore. Prior to this, as far as we know, she was a rank pagan. She didn't know nothing about God. But now God has entered into the sphere of her understanding and her belief, and, and she's been enlightened to this truth. And, and isn't this just how it goes sometimes? When you've really leaned into serving God, it seems like the devil just rears back and winds up and hits you hard as he can. And this woman is experiencing this devastating trial. Number two, I would say this, it was a disorienting trial. In verse number 18, we have a window into this woman's heart and soul. She said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Now, when she says that the first time, I mean, you can just, you can, you can see it and you can hear it from the page that she spits it at. She says, You're supposed to be a preacher. You're supposed to be a prophet. You're supposed to be a man of God. What good is it for me to serve God? What good is it for me to minister to you and to help you if all this does is bring sorrow into my life? She asked this very, very forthright and blunt question. Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? This statement is pregnant with meaning because it's given in the context of what verse number 17, how it begins, came to pass after these things. If you think about the these things that had been taking place in her life, I'm sure there were times, and, and rightly so, that she felt like God's ministering under the, under the needs of her home had been a direct endorsement of her act of obedience unto Him. In fact, we'd say it this way. She's thinking to herself, I've been serving the Lord. I've been living for God. I've been doing without, and I've been pouring myself into, into this cause and this calling and this purpose that God has placed on my life. I've not been living in rebellion. I've not been living in disobedience. Why did God ever awaken my heart and mind in the first place if all He intended to do was bring death and destruction into my life? We could say it. it's a disorienting trial. She doesn't understand what God's doing. I don't know why I say this so much, but I feel like I do. And I guess you need to hear it because I'm going to say it again tonight. God is not always going to make sense to you in the things that He does. Now, he'll never act disconstant with what he's revealed about himself. He'll never act different than what he said he is and what he said he would do. But there's a lot of room in between what God says he will do and how God says he will do it or the absence of the revelation of that process to provide a lot of opportunities for you to look up towards heaven and scratch your head and say, you know, God, I just can't figure out what you're doing. 
I would say this, that He would not be much of a God if we could always understand what He was doing in our life. And this woman has entered a phase where she thought she understood something about this strange God from another land that she had stepped out in faith and began to serve and began to obey and put her home at the disposal of, of, of this God's prophet. And, and she thought she had her mind wrapped around what kind of a God this was. I'll tell you, it's, it's very often that the moment you think you've got your mind wrapped around the kind of a God that He is, all of a sudden God, He'll, He'll zig when you thought He was going to zag, and He'll do something different than what you're expecting. So this woman is squarely in a situation where she is now faced with a choice. What is she going to do? I would say this, that the moral of this story when we come to the close of it is that she learned how to trust Him in the midst of her trial. And we have to ask this question, how do we trust God during trying times? Oh, it's easy to say to do it, and we know it's the right thing to do. But what does that look like? People will say sometimes when you go through trials, well, just trust the Lord, just trust the Lord, just trust the Lord. Trust Him with what? Trust Him in what areas? Trust Him for what reasons? And trust Him with what concepts in our mind. I think this woman shows us. It's interesting that she calls Elijah the man of God. To her, Elijah is the representative of God. Elijah is the connection, we could say, between her and this strange God that she never knew until Elijah came walking into her life. And so in many ways, he is the man of God to her. Can I remind you that we likewise have a man of God? I'm not talking about me. I'm not talking about your favorite preacher. I'm not talking about your favorite televangelist. But we have, we have, hey, listen, uh, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He's the man of God to us. And I understand he's more than just a man of God. I understand he's also God the man. I understand that he's God the Son and the Son of God. And I understand all those things. And I think you understand it and understand I understand it. But I'm saying in many ways there's a parallel between who Elijah was to her and who the Lord Jesus is to us. He's our connection to a God that oft is mysterious to us. And often though we can trust His heart, we cannot trace His hand. He is the one that connects us to the Lord. And so when we look at how she responds to Elijah, I think we have a picture of how we ought to respond to the Lord and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 19. Say, Preacher... How do I trust God during trying times? Well, there's four things that you ought to trust. Verse 19, He, Elijah, said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. This is a fascinating moment. If you can find a way to put yourself in that room and watch this scene unfold, I think you'll be touched by the intimacy of this moment and by the significance of the action of this woman. You think about her holding the lifeless body of her child. I don't know about you, and, I, and I even, I, I'm even very, very hesitant to want to even talk like I would know what that situation would be. I've not been in that situation. But just trying to imagine it, I, I, I can only think to myself, here I am, my child has died unexpectedly. I'm holding my child. You couldn't pry that child's body away from me with a thousand horses. I'd want to hold on to it. I'd want to cling it. I, 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 I'd want to brush his hair. I, I'd want to give him one more kiss. I, I'd want to just, just hold him close to me one more moment. 
Yet here's the man of God saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this most precious and broken of things. The thing that is the token of the God you don't understand. The problem that is insurmountable. The thing that you cannot puzzle out. And I want you to hand him to me. And I want you to trust me with him. So preacher, how do we trust him? Well, I'd say number one tonight, we've got to learn to trust in his providence. Uh, here's what uh, is taking place. He's saying, take your problem, put it in my hands, and I promise I'll take care of it for you. You know, that's what God does for us. He says, you take that problem, put it in my hands, and trust that I know what I'm doing and that I've got control over the situation. I immediately thought to myself of 1 Peter chapter number 5, verse 6 and 7, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. In this precious listen, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. We think of care as anxiety and worry, and certainly that is appropriate. But think about it also in the sense of affection and connection and association, something we are, are, are clinging to and that's precious to. There was nothing in the world this woman cared about more than her son, and now the man of God says, give me that which is precious to you and trust me with him. It's interesting to think about Elijah taking this child up into a loft. You know, that's what happens when we take our problem and give it to the Lord. We're putting it in his hands and let him carry it up into the place where he abodes and deal with it according to his own will. And I like how, how tender Elijah is, how attentive he is. It says that he laid him upon his own bed. I, I don't want to get into the preaching before I've got to the preaching, so we're going to say more about this here in, in just a few moments. But isn't it good to know that the Lord, He don't take our problems and stick them over in a broom closet somewhere. He doesn't stick them in, in a warehouse somewhere with a million other people's problems and, and get to them when He can. He don't put us on a waiting list. He takes our problems and puts them in His own bed. You know what that signifies to me? Elijah didn't intend on letting the sun go down before he had dealt with this problem. He was putting that child in his own bed. He wouldn't have had nowhere to sleep if he had put off this problem. He was saying, I'll not rest till this problem is dealt with. Man, isn't it good to know that the God of Israel neither slumbereth nor sleepeth? He won't rest till he's dealt with our problem. Now, that doesn't always mean that we'll get the answer before we have to pillow our head, but it does remind us that he doesn't pillow his head. And he's willing to put priority on the situation. So we've got to take that problem and say, now, Lord, I trust you with this. I don't understand it. I don't see a solution. But I know that you see solutions and you have plans that I don't know and can't discern. So I'm willing to take this problem and realize that I'm, it may be in my hands, but it's not under my control. Listen carefully. Just because it's in your hands does not mean it's under your control. It's a great moment of wisdom when you choose to say, I'll put it out of my hands if that's what it takes to put it under the control of Him who has control of all things. It, it, it's not naive delusion. It's not escapism to put our problems in the hands of an almighty God. It's all wise to do that. And he says, I, she says, I, I can't heal him. I can't fix him. I can't unbreak him. I can't, I, I can't remake him. But I'm going to put him in the hands of Elijah. And I believe Elijah can do with this child something that I cannot. Undoubtedly with trepidation in her heart, undoubtedly in a halting way, she takes that boy and and lays him over in the arms of Elijah. And there was never a better thing she could have done with her problem. There's nothing better you could ever do with your problems than put them in the arms of the Lord, casting all your care upon him. Why do we do that? Well, he careth for us. So trust in his providence. Number two tonight, look at verse 20. The Bible says that he, that Elijah, he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn 
by slaying her son? This is an interesting phrase, isn't it? If we're being honest, Elijah sounds a little bit put out with God, doesn't he? He sounds a little bit angry. He sounds as confused as this woman sounds. In fact, I mean, he really just sort of takes and, and rearranges and regurgitates her own slander. She looked at Elijah and said, have you just showed up to bring evil upon me to call my sins to remembrance? Now Elijah goes to God. Now stop and think about this. Elijah knows God a lot better than this woman knows Elijah. But still he looks towards heaven and says, you know, God, I can't figure you out. Have you just sought to bring evil upon this widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? He sounds sort of mad, doesn't he? Now we read that and we can draw a lot of things from it. But it reminds me of this. Listen, when we take our problems and put them in the arms of the Lord Jesus, we're putting them in the care of someone who empathizes with us. He knows what it feels like. Hey, there was a time when he prayed and he said, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will. And if we were writing the story, we'd think that God sat up in heaven and said, well, since you're so, since you asked so nicely, I'll just give you what you asked for. But what was the answer? Still to Calvary he went, didn't he? He knew what it was. And I, and I can't explain all of these things. I, I, the, I understand that. He knew what it was to look towards heaven and say, my God, my God, why? Why hast thou forsaken me? Again, I'm not going to try to unriddle all this because there's things deeper than you or I will ever understand this side of glory. But somehow in in the glorious mystery of the incarnation, God enrobing himself in human flesh, he took upon him not the form of angels, but the form of the seed of Abraham. He was made like unto man. He took upon him the form of man. He knew what it was to suffer. He knew what it was to be hungry, to be tired, to be weary. Let's even go a step further. He knew what what it was to sometimes have to wonder in bewilderment at the things that his father was doing. If at no other time than at the very least at that moment in Calvary, he was asking a question that he did not have an answer to. Why? 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 And it's a reminder that all these things were done so that you and I would have a high priest in heaven that we could go to trust in his priesthood. Listen to how the Hebrews writer says it. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points. Say, preacher, he don't understand. My Bible says in all points. Oh, but preacher, he couldn't understand. But it says in all points. Preacher, explain it to me. I can't, but I can read it to you. In all points, tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Bible says, though he were a son, though he were a son, yet learned the obedience in the things which he suffered, that he might perfect them which are the heirs of salvation. So what are you getting at, preacher? I'm saying he has suffered so that we would know we could come to a priest who knew what it was to suffer. And we could trust that he knows what we're going through. There's a very academic, practical, psychological, intellectual aspect to this. I'm taking my problem and I'm putting it in the Lord's hands. But then there's a very emotional, uh, personal aspect to it of saying, how then am I okay with that? I put it in his hands. How do I go sit back in my seat and not just agonize? How do I go and pillow my head tonight 
and not just worry and, and, and chew my nails to the quick and, and just watch that alarm clock and wait for the sunrise to come up. How do I do that? By being reminded that you're not in this thing alone. You have a high priest that knows what it feels like. He's not just willing to take on your problems. He's willing to experience and feel your problems with you. Can I tell you a little secret about me? You probably don't care, but I'm going to tell you anyway because I'm preaching. I've got to see that people try. It's a basic fundamental thing of, of the social contract of the world we live in. If I go through a drive through and they mess my order up, I'm mad. I'm angry. You had one job to do. I'm angry. I'm upset. And then I've got to take my precious time while my food is getting cold and drive back around and get back in line. I could walk in, but we ain't going to do anything crazy. I ain't going to get out of the car. And, and and pull back around, get back in line, wait behind six other people while they hem and haw and try to figure out what they want from a menu that they've got memorized and wait to get up to the front and say, hey, you left my you left my fries off my order. And then say, okay, all right, we'll just pull ahead. And I'm the type of person, man, if they put one of them hot apple pies in there, I'm, I'm gold again. I'm good. You've won me back. I might not even eat that apple pie. I might not even care about it. But they put forth an effort and they've showed and, and, and telegraphed to me that they get it. They understand that this was an inconvenience. It was a problem. I paid for a product. I didn't get it the way that they had advertised it. And so they're going to do something just to show me that they, that they care. On the converse side of it, you ever gone back through and they got your second order wrong? I've been there. I don't even understand the levels of rage that awaken in me when something like that happens. Things that, that I thought Christ slew at Calvary all of a sudden just come bubbling up inside. Because there's that feeling of you don't care. You don't empathize. You don't identify. You don't see that this was a problem. Uh, part of what gives us peace of mind is being reminded he sees, he knows, he cares, and he feels our problems. Trust in his priesthood. Then I like verse 21. It says this, He stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. We preached a little bit about this, I think, last Easter and we was talking about resurrections. This is one of the, by the way, this is the first resurrection in the Bible. And it's interesting how this takes place. Here's what the Lord Jesus does. You've got God sitting up on his throne in glory. You've got this child lying on this bed. Here's what Elijah does. This child can't pray for himself. He's dead. He has no means to talk to God. The widow woman cannot pray. She ain't in no fit shape to try to pray. But Elijah's on praying ground. So here's what he does. He comes up and he lays his body over top of this child. Why did he do that? So that when God looked down from glory, he didn't see this dead child. He saw this living prophet. And Elijah prays. And God may have not been willing to see that child in its dead state, but He is willing to see Elijah, the living prophet of God. And so He recognizes and hears. Here's what Elijah did. He put Himself in between the child and the God of life. And He said, I'll pray on His behalf. I'd say it this way. Trust in His priesthood, but number three, trust in His position. Trust that He's got the ear of God. I like how it says it in verse 22. It's very simple. It just says the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. Now, this child didn't have a voice to pray with, but Elijah prayed for him and God heard the voice of Elijah. This widow woman wasn't in no shape to pray, but Elijah prayed and God heard the voice of Elijah. 
Can I tell you, there's times that we ain't in no shape to pray. And those are the times we need prayer the most. There's times that we go to pray, we don't even know what to ask for. I can't tell you the numbers of times that my prayers go this way. Lord, here's my problem. I don't know. I don't know what I need. I don't know what to do. I don't know what will fix it. I don't know what will make it better. And almost like a little child that just, you know, sort of just stumbles up to parents with a broken toy and just looks and says, fix. I take it and look at God and say, God, fix. I don't even know what it would take. But I'm glad that there's an intercessor at the right hand of the Father. And all i got to say is fix. And he knows what that means. And he knows what it'll take. I like how it says in the book Romans chapter 8, what should we say then to these things? God before us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for it. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying, yeah, people condemn you, but guess what? we got somebody sitting right at the ear of God. and He's in the perfect place to take our part and to take our lot. Hey, listen, it applies to the truth of our problems as well. Trust that he's close enough to God to get the message there. Trust in his privilege. Trust that, hey, there may be times that you wouldn't know why God would listen to you. But if you're saved by the grace of God and you've got a conduit into the throne room of glory, you've got the Son of God seated at the right hand of the Father, and you'd say, preacher, God wouldn't listen to me. Maybe not. But he'll sure enough listen to his own son. And he's the one that's there on your behalf. Trust in his position. He, he can get those prayers through. He can talk to the Lord. And then look at verse 22. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah. And the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. I'd remind you this is the first time it's ever been done in human history. There had never been another moment when this had taken place. It's the first time a resurrection has happened. She is seeking for God to do something that's never been done before. And God does it. I'd say it this way. Trust in his power. Trust in his power. If we were to look in the New Testament in the book of Mark chapter 9, we'd find a moment when another parent comes with a child who's broken. And it says it this way in verse 17, one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I brought unto thee my son which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. In verse 21, the Lord asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child, and oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. He says, if you can do it, I want you to do it. If, if it's possible, he says, I asked your disciples, they're great men, they're powerful men, but they couldn't do it. And so we've come to you directly. If you can do it, would you please do it? Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. They said, now, Lord, nobody else can do it. Can you? He says, I can do anything. If you've got the faith, I've got the power. If you'll just trust me, I can do with this what no one else can do. Let me make you an absolute statement of promise and fact. There's nothing God cannot do, including solving whatever you're facing. Now, that's not a promise that he'll solve it. It's not a promise he'll solve it in the way that you hope and anticipate. But it is a promise that whatever God does will not be dictated by impotence on his part will not be dictated by a lack of ability in him.
it will be determined not by impotence, but by providence. It'll be determined by what is best for you, not what is beyond His reach, because nothing is beyond His reach. His hand is not shortened that He cannot save. So trust in His power. Well, we talked about this trial that this lady's going through. It's a devastating and a disorienting trial. But I want you just very quickly look at verse 23 and 24. And I want us to pick up that thought once more. And I want to say this. Not only was it a devastating and disorienting trial, but when we come down to the very end, you know what we find? We find it was a developing trial. It says in verse 23, Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. The woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is true. What we learn after it's all said and done is this, that God accomplished some things through this trial that could not have been accomplished in any other way. She learned things through the, through the death of her child that she could not learn through the miracle of provision. There are certain things you can only learn through trials. You don't learn them through the regular miracles that are palatable and pleasant that we all love to glory in. You're only going to learn it through God doing things through hardship, suffering, and sorrow. Now, that doesn't mean we got to like it, but it does mean we ought to learn to trust Him even in the midst of our trying times. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. I, I want to give you an opportunity to talk to the Lord about these things in your life. Uh, not just what this woman went through, but I'm talking about what you're going through. Now, I don't know what you're going through. There's very little of the problems people face that ever make it to me, more than than I have the ability to bear, undoubtedly, but but there's very much more that people go through than I'm ever even aware. You're probably going through things I don't know nothing about. But why don't you meet the Lord in this altar, and why don't you take those things, why don't you take that problem, and why don't you put it in His care? Now, that doesn't mean that you won't worry. But it does mean that you'll have all cause to trust Him. Take that. Put it in His bosom. Well, take it up into the place where He abides. Lay it in His own bed and deal with it according to His will. Father, we love You. We thank You for this time. Bless this invitation in Christ's name.